I notice there are a number of uh, new people here this evening, and uh, I'm not sure where you're from or um, how come you turned up here, but anyway, you're very welcome. And um, maybe we have a chance to meet and say hello after the meeting tonight. Um, uh, for the community here, we are midway through a period of uh, two weeks of formal retreat. The uh, last week that has We've just finished. Uh, Ajahn Abhinanda led a community of about, uh, I think it was 20 or so, um, lay folk who came here from all over the country and the continent, Europe, Italians, Slovenians and Sri Lankans, joining us here for this week. And and then uh, starting tomorrow evening, we will have uh, one of our weeks of uh, strict, formal, silent retreat. And it's, it's uh, tremendously uplifting, really, to, to see people really benefiting from just being here, but also benefiting from uh, picking up the teachings and, and applying the teachings. Uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of work, has, of course, over the years has gone into building this particular place and and then uh, to run a retreat takes quite a lot of work, quite a lot of preparation. Uh, people who, who did the organization and then the people who run it, the, the cooks, uh, Joe and Julian and, and uh, Penny and Nick who organized the retreat this year. And then, of course, Ajahn Abhinando who busts himself day and night well, not night, he sleeps very well, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> late into the evening, I, I expect, he's given, been giving Dhamma talks. I haven't had to do anything. I just sit over there in my palatial cootie, just watching everybody get happier every day. And uh, that's very lovely. Um, and it's a, yeah, as I said, it's a great inspiration. And, and then I sometimes I think about... Uh, Sometimes the, the people comment about religion. I say, well, the world doesn't need religion. As if religion is a curse, and and of course, what they're referring to is is uh, you know the, the tragic situations that are going on, particularly right now in uh, in the Middle East, where we have um, Jews and Christians and, and Muslims all um, struggling um, to get on with each other quite badly, uh, very badly actually. And that's really sad. And, and sometimes people will put it down to religion and say that it's, you know, religion is a problem and that it's the fault with religion. And, and sometimes even Buddhists get a little bit precious and say, well, you know, we don't have wars. Buddhists don't have wars. You know, if we had a few more Buddhists out there in the Middle East, we wouldn't have all these problems. And, well, I think Buddhists who talk like that should just go on out to the Middle East and try and be helpful. Uh, <laughs> and also they probably should read a little bit about Buddhist history because this is definitely not the case. There have been incidences and still are occasions where there's a lot of 
things going on in the name of Buddhism that are really no good. Uh, I saw on the internet news the other day uh, monks in Sri Lanka rioting, uh, very, very unseemly behavior. These monks having their robes pulled off them and, and waving and yelling and, and behaving like total hooligans. And uh, or you might have seen a few years ago the same in Korea where these monks were thumping the policemen and beating them with iron rods and so on. And, and uh, there are also recorded um, in history of in China uh, where there was a, a, a cult, I forget the name of it now, but they, they had this belief system whereby if the emperor was a Buddhist, then the whole world would be at peace. And so they formed an army to go and kill the emperor. And, uh, and so this has been done in the name of Buddhists, so just in case there's any precious Buddhists around who, who think that we're excluded from this uh, misappropriation of spiritual teachings. Uh, it, it, and I think, but I think, I guess what I'm uh, referring to this evening is that, that uh, it's good for us to, I think, get clear about where the problem really lies. And when people do criticize religion as, and blame religion, to be clear about where the problem is, to know how we can respond with that, because it is understandable. Uh, you look at it from a certain perspective. You could blame religion. You know, Ireland or Chechnya or Middle East. But that's when the mind is looking only at the form it's looking only at the outside. And unless people have been properly trained or educated with how to uh, read the inside, to know the inner world, to know how to navigate our inner reality, um, unless people have some experience in that, well, then it's understandable that all they see is the form. And, and when you look at it on the level of form, well, yeah, basically in a lot of religions, you could just chuck the whole lot out, really, right? You can maybe come up with some vaguely interesting social anthropological explanation for why there are a good reason. But religion, the point of religion, surely is not, you know, just some sort of social organization. That can be done in other ways. But rather the point of religion is to deal, is to give us, to equip us with the skills to live inwardly, to understand our inner world, to understand how to navigate, you know, what, what is the realm of faith and trust and love and joy and sorrow. These are not material things. These are matters of the heart. And religion is something that has been created and evolved in human culture uh, so that we can become skilled in this. They're like, if you like, uh, religious teachings and techniques are like tools that we've been given or, or we create uh, so as to be able to do the inner work. Mm. Just as we have work to do in the outer world. You know, we could just say, well, let's go back to ground zero, do a Pol Pot, you know, kill off everybody who's got any education and culture, burn all the books, smash people's glasses, you know, which is what Pol Pot did, a totally insane view. But he thought, well, go back to ground zero and start off again, do away with culture, because it's all caused so much trouble. Well, 
we see what happened with Cambodia and what's still happening with Cambodia. It's, that's really tragic. Uh, rather, the wiser thing to do is to, is to engage what has evolved for human beings but to contemplate it until we can really understand how to work with it and also to see where it is being misused. Yeah. So with, uh, with the tools in the outer world, like you know, human beings, we've evolved these things like hammers and screwdrivers and, and drills and all the work we're doing down there in the retreat house. Can you imagine doing it with a piece of stick? <laughs> you know, it's really great having a good drill. You know, Ajahn Nando spends hours looking through through magazines to, well, not ours, I'm exaggerating. In case you don't know, I have a tendency to exaggerate, and sometimes Ajahn Abhinanda has to correct me after the talk about my exaggerations. But he, he does research to find out the good quality drills, because a good drill you can do good work with. It's really good to have a good drill. But you've got to know how to recognize a good drill, and you also got to know how to use it. If you don't know how to use it, like... We had, one, we, we had a really good drill down in Chithurst many years ago. I won't say the name because I don't want to promote the brand, but it was just a really good drill. And we lent it to the senior monk who was living here at the time because they needed to put a damp course in. You know this old building here? It didn't have a damp course, so the walls were damp and, and, um, and cold. And so you know, he understood, heard from Chithurst that you have to put a damp course, and so you drill these holes in and then you fill them with this this silicon stuff and it permeates the stone and creates a vapour barrier. The damp doesn't come up and the walls dry out. They don't get cold and it saves energy and it's much nicer to live in. So we, we kindly lent our drill to him. and But he didn't have the thing. He didn't know how to use the drill. So he would start drilling and he would just... Until it died. And then he pulled off, waited it cool down again and then started up again and he until it died. Now, that's not the way to use a drill. You know, a drill, you've got to work it. And then you, the drill lasts a long time, you get a good hole, and then everybody down at Chithurst is happy with you, which is not the case, because he ruined our drill. And we were disappointed. He got the job done eventually, but uh, he didn't get it done in a very um, efficient way. There was nothing wrong with the drill, but how he handled it was a problem. Or like that other friend that I've told you about who, when he took up uh, carpentry, he, he started his uh, apprenticeship with a very good carpenter and his father gave him a very good hammer, the best hammer, with a really nice wooden handle. Uh, you know, really, not some cheap thing made goodness knows where, but <laughs> a really good hammer, just, you know, as good as they come. And so his, his uh, carpenter teacher was teaching him how to hammer. And of course, if you know how to hammer, you hold the hammer by the end of the handle. And you, you, know, you learn to get a good swing. It takes a while before you get a good swing, but once you learn, you can aim and you, you get the maximum clout and the nail goes in beautiful. No great big dings in the wood, just really nice. And it takes a while, but that's the way to do it. Well, this stubborn, stubborn young fellow, he, he you know, just did what he felt was right, which is you hold the handle up by the head, because that's where you feel you've got the most control. And you go, tick, 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 tick. Of course, you don't get any weight that way. It's just not the right way to handle a hammer. And so his uh, boss, the carpenter, taught him several times what to do. And uh, he was a slow learner, so, uh, you know, he needed some direct teaching, so uh, obviously the carpenter one day 
took the, took the hammer from him and took the saw and chopped the bottom half off the handle. And so he ain't half a handle anymore, in which case uh, David was pretty unhappy. But uh, the carpenter pointed out, well, you're not using it, so you might as well chop it, chop it off. And, uh, from that point onwards, he actually learned how to use a hammer properly. Well, you know, this is the same thing with religions, that um, whatever the religion we've got, if we don't use the forms, don't use the teachings properly, well, you know, we, can, we can have really serious uh, unfortunate consequences. Yeah. For instance, instead of religion creating a sense of tolerance and love and, and ability to cooperate, you end up getting sectarianism. You get, get cults and you get factions and, and groups and people fighting with each other. And this is, again, not just the theistic religions, although it is very evident there, but even also in the Buddhist world. You find you know, different monasteries and monks and supporters of different monasteries squabbling with each other and, and even fighting with each other. That's not the fault with the religion. That's the, the problem is with, with how we pick it up. Yeah. And, it's not, and, and to point this out is not even a, a question of blaming. Because if we really pick up the religion in the right way, well, then we understand that, that it doesn't matter what our religion is. If it's a true religion, it shows us that there's no point in blaming. Because what religion does is taking us inwards so we can see the source of our suffering. In other words, like you know, in the Christian tradition, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven within. You know, to look inwards, to find. Or the example of, of uh, in the Christian tradition of Jesus on the cross, you know, undergoing the most horrendous humiliation and abuse. And what did he say is, forgive them because they're acting out of ignorance. Pointing to the cause. The cause, even under those extreme conditions of the most extreme abuse that any human being could tolerate, just before he died under that abuse, he pointed out, you know, this is the cause of suffering. This is the cause of their action, is ignorance. And surely this is the point of religion. Theistic religion or non-theistic religion, it's that pointing inwards to equip us with the skills, the tools, so that we can see where and when and how we're doing something that creates our suffering or the suffering for others. So uh, recognising uh, where, where we can get it right or where we get it wrong and how it's our responsibility. And also familiarising ourselves with what the teachings are actually saying. There's, um, in the Buddhist world, there's quite a, a um, prevalent um, culture these days in, in the Western Buddhist world that, that uh, you know, that, that uh, anything's okay, basically. It's all a matter of opinion. Well, it's not just the Buddhist world, but the whole New Age spiritual movement is that there's a disinclination to have any firm views on anything. And the, the idea, and the Buddhists seem to fit into this somehow, that that uh, we don't have any fixed views on anything. The Buddha said clinging to, every, clinging to anything causes suffering. No, that's true. The Buddha did say clinging to anything causes suffering. But that didn't, he say, didn't mean to say don't hold on to things. Yeah. There's a big difference between clinging and holding firmly and letting go. Yeah. Yeah. 
if we hold too tightly to something, even if it's something good, you know, like a little baby, for instance. <laughs> I always think it's a very good image, you know. Beautiful little baby, cute little boy or girl, and, and you care for it a lot, and sweet little thing, and you hold on to it. If you hold it too tightly, you hurt it. You know, it's, it's a pretty obvious example. And, and this, is, uh, this is how it can be in our, in our relationship with the spiritual teachings. If we hold them too tightly, even though they're really good, even though they're very precious, if we hold them too tightly, then we hurt ourselves and we hurt the religion. So even though you know, a lot of the, the world's great religions have, have very true, real, relevant things to say, out of ignorance, there's a, an inappropriate relationship. You know, it's holding too tightly, and then the people themselves get hurt, and of course also the religion gets a bad reputation and hurts other people. So holding too tightly is not it. The Buddha, as you, most of you will have heard, the, the metaphor was he gave of when he was listening to uh, somebody, I think, playing an instrument, something like a lute, I think it might have been. Um, I'm not sure what it was, but some, some instrument that he said, if, you, uh, if it's too tight, you can tell by listening to it. You know, that, 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 you know it's awful sound, you know, if something's sharp. But then if it's too loose, it's also awful. You know, if you turn it down, loosen the peg, and, and it's flat, and that's awful. That's not right either. But when you get it right, then you know it's right. And we only get it right by really paying attention, by really, really paying attention to the effect of our action. Not just the idea. You know, the idea of where the peg should be to get at the right point. That's not it. You know, you don't mark your guitar or whatever with a little notch there and say, well, that's where the peg should be, you know, and you fix it there. No, you've got to twist it, you've got to move it. And then you listen, and you pluck it, and you listen, and you say, oh, that's it, no, that's not it, that's it. and then you do it again, you get it. Yeah. until you get it, and then you, ah, and there's something beautiful about when it's just right. That's beautiful when it's just right. But that takes time, and it takes skill. Yeah. And so... As we uh, give ourselves into our commitment to spiritual life, uh, of course we, we all have confidence in our chosen spiritual tradition and teaching, but it's really important that we keep looking and seeing the effect of our actions. You know, does it make us more tolerant? Is it making us too tolerant? You know, is it too tight or too loose? Like in meditation... The encouragement to find a meditation object, focus attention on the meditation object, whether it's a sensation of the body breathing or, or counting the breath or body posture or sound of silence or a particular theme. And so it's clearly encouraged by the Buddha and all the wise teachers to focus your mind so you do what you're told. But... Um, and then these extraneous thoughts and feelings and things come in and they're irritating, they're distracting you, so you just come back to your meditation object. Come back to your meditation object. Just keep coming back, keep coming back. And these, these thoughts coming in, just come back quicker and come back stronger and try harder. And you really try harder. And, and then, got it! And you might, you know, you really might manage to get the mind still and hold it still. 
But then when you come out of meditation, you stand up and you fall over. You know, your eyes are all dizzy and <laughs> cross-eyed. <laughs> I know from experience, I you finish meditating, you can't see straight. because You've <laughs> been using too much will, too much force to concentrate too tightly. And so you learn, well, that's not it. And so certain so things, oh, I've got to relax a bit. And so, you know, you sit there in meditation, you relax. And you say, oh, I don't want to concentrate too tightly. <laughs> so you think, well, weather's not much good. And you could go to Greece. <laughs> Spain? Spain. Sure, go to Italy. Oh, go and see Chase in Italy. That'd be nice. <laughs> New Zealand. Wow, that'd be good. Go to New Zealand. Yeah, I see another New Zealand. And fish and chips on the beach. <laughs> Well, that's not. That's called too loose. <laughs> but you know, of course, it's a bit ridiculous. But that's you know, the thing is, when we do this, we experiment and and we learn from this. That's the point. That's the point is to learn from what's too tight and what's too loose. Not it's not it's not the case that we shouldn't try hard. Sometimes people have this idea that you know you mustn't try too hard. You know. You, it's not going to do you any good if you try too hard. You've got to try hard. You've got to try hard and and see see what the effect is. You know, if you try too hard, well, then you learn. You, you suffer. And, uh, and then you try. You get too loose. You know, your mind gets the, all over the place and, and wander. Or, and the same with the Buddhist views. You know, there's this. I started off by saying a few moments ago there's this idea that anything's okay you know, well that's not what the Buddha taught you know, the Buddha was was very clear that not everything is okay there are some things that are definitely absolutely clearly not okay and uh, some Buddhists these days don't want to know about this but there are definite things the Buddha had definite views he pointed out that you probably <clears throat> most of you will probably know that the ten unskillful actions. You know, killing is not okay. It's unskillful. Stealing is unskillful. Sexual irresponsibility is unskillful. Lying, that's false speech, is unskillful. Abusive speech is unskillful. Heedless talebearing is unskillful. Pointless chatter is unskillful. Covetousness is unskillful. Ill will is unskillful. Wrong view is unskillful. Ten things the Buddha was absolutely emphatic about. These ten things are clearly unskillful. And if we do them, there will be a really unhappy result. And then likewise, there's the ten skillful things. Refraining from killing, refraining from stealing, refraining from sexual misconduct, refraining from, from false speech. If we do them, if we cultivate these things, these skillful actions, then there will be benefit. And so uh, that's important also, to familiarize ourselves with the teachings, to not... Uh, just do with, go with what feels good. Yeah. Like with the guy with the hammer. It feels good just to hold the hammer up the top when you don't know, when you haven't learnt yet how to hold the hammer, you hold it up the top by the head and go bang, bang, bang. And that's not the way to hold the hammer. But it feels good. It feels better that way. Or with, with the example I've often used is, is uh, doing Tai Chi. When you start doing Tai Chi, and the teacher says, now, Bend your knees, lower down. Say, oh, it doesn't feel very good. Yeah. It hurts, don't it? You say, I don't want to lower my knees. I want to stand up straight. And say, no, 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 you've got to lower your knees. And you've got to move this way and move that way. And you drop your shoulders. and say, oh, doesn't feel good immediately. But because the teacher's got more experience and more wisdom and, 
and a bigger picture, he sees the bigger picture. We don't see the bigger picture, probably. We're locked into our immediate experience, which is, it hurts, it's uncomfortable, it's difficult. But from the teacher's perspective, this kind of difficulty leads to freedom from difficulty. If we're really mindful and patient and attentive with Tai Chi exercise and follow the teachings, then eventually our form, our imbalanced form, is reformed into something that the Qi can flow more healthily. And then we're grateful. And so this particular external form has the the value of (coughs) of, of, uh, showing us how to live physically healthily. Well, likewise, the spiritual <clears throat> Excuse me. The spiritual disciplines and spiritual teachings, the, the point of them is to show us how to cultivate the inner skills, the inner forms, the inner disciplines that enable uh, a contented, rewarding, wise uh, life. But that doesn't mean to say that it's going to feel good. So taking our feelings as the barometer is not wise. Yeah. Taking the teachings as the barometer is important, however, how we relate to those teachings is important. If we relate to them too tightly, then we're going to, even the teachings, even if they're really, really the best teachings, you know, like Ajahn Chai used to say, sometimes even the Buddha's teaching is wrong view, if you cling to it. Yeah. If you cling to the Buddha's teachings, you can spoil it. Yeah. The teachings themselves, the words, the concepts, uh, the techniques, they're not the point. Those are just the forms. How we relate to them is also important. So uh, if this question ever comes up in, in situations where people blame religion for the suffering in the world, well, I think it's uh, useful for us to remember that that's a perfectly understandable perspective that people have, so long as they're only looking at the outside. If people have not yet been initiated into an inner ability where they can learn to read their own hearts and minds for themselves and where they can actually sense the spirit behind the form, if they haven't got that, well, then it's understandable that they can blame religious forms and so on. So when we reply to them, we don't have to get into an argument or, or you know, contradict them or whatever, but rather to meet them where they're at and then, and then to engage in a, in a, in a, a discussion or a debate. Yeah. I was going to say an argument, but, you know, argument's perhaps a little bit too passionate. So long as it's a contained argument, that's okay. A little argy-bargy is all right, so long as it's, you know, good-natured. I don't mind a little argy-bargy myself. But uh, it's where the passions take over, and then we get caught up. And if that happens, well, it shows that we're holding it too tightly. Yeah. So if we prepare ourselves and in advance and we remember this, well, then... If, as is likely to happen, the subject gets raised, we'll be in their best position to be able to offer somebody something useful to help them, not just tell them, no, religion's good, you know, and then get defensive about Buddhism or whatever. That's not going to do any good. But rather to meet them where they're at, to understand uh, their perspective, and then to hopefully guide them until they can see, actually, there are skills, there are teachings, there are uh, things we can learn that actually do make a difference. Our life can become more beautiful and worthwhile. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.